Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. I want to go to John Wall. Uh, good afternoon to you, John. How are you? Good afternoon, Niall. Welcome back. Thank you very much indeed, John. Well, when I say how are you, you can't be too good, obviously, because you're in stage four of prostate cancer, which is certified as incurable. And how are you feeling? To be quite honest with you, Niall, I'm actually feeling very good. Okay, um, that's, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, the, 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 last, uh, the last couple of weeks in particular, um, energy levels, uh, you know, frame of mind, uh, the, the body and mind, the, I'm doing uh, really well at the moment. Um, it has its ups and downs, um, mm. depending on, on what treatment you're on and any specific moment in time. But uh, for the moment, uh, doing doing really well, thanks. Well, look, you're a father of three, and, and I'll, I'll get to the medical card in a moment, but just for people who, who are not familiar with your own story, John, when were you diagnosed first, or what was the symptoms that made you want to go to the doctor? Because I was, I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there because it's prostate yeah. cancer and something that men suffer from. Quite common, actually, more common than we probably imagine. Um, what were the symptoms and what made you want to go to your doctor in the first place? Sure, that's, that's very, very important. And that was uh, practically to the day, uh, two years ago, um, I had a, a problem with my right leg. I thought it was a uh, nerve issue, sciatica, something along those lines. So I wasn't one to, uh, to frequent the GP's office that often. But for whatever reason I did on that particular day, it was 25th of July, 2017. And um, it became apparent very quick that uh, there was a problem with my lymph nodes. They were uh, inflamed. Uh, as a result of the uh, the cancer itself having spread from the prostate to my lymphatic system. So within a, a period of uh, about three days or so, um, yes. I guess my life, our lives changed. So, uh, and, and I'm sure you can remember that day where you were diagnosed and brought into that room and told, listen, there's a problem. I mean, that yeah, must have I been remember, an awful day. I remember very well. And actually, the the, uh, the human brain has a, a incredible mechanism of, of uh, protecting itself and yourself. I was brought into a room. I was on my own, and I was asked that uh, question, have you anybody else with you? And uh, I would have heard it thousands of times on TV, you know, people discussing it or whatever, and it never resonated with me for a second that there was anything wrong. Uh, it took several days for it to actually sink in. But surely when you uh, hear the words, is there anybody with you, you know that's going to be bad news, don't you? There are, are you certainly news that are difficult to handle, yeah. You, you would have assumed so, yeah. absolutely. And uh, no, it didn't. It honestly didn't. I, I went into... Um, protection mode and uh, I, I, when I reflect on it now I remembered uh, bits and pieces but uh, I chose, uh, I guess my brain chose not to uh, not to remember the important bits but in any event uh, I was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 prostate cancer and from that day to this I've learned a lot about the disease that try and help others. But are you young by the way? Are you, when I say are you young, you are <laughs> young, you're 48 but are you young to have prostate cancer? What is the yes. average age for diagnosis? There's a thing does for, for, for what I have, you'd be looking at uh, mid to late 50s and beyond at the very earliest. But I'm very young to have it. However, you're never too young to get it. And uh, we don't have a, a national screening program. Uh, we don't have a great awareness program. That's surprising, isn't it? isn't it? It is surprising. When you consider we have national screening programs for cervical cancer or for breast check or, you know, when it comes to women, uh, and this is something that does affect men, testicular cancer and prostate cancer, which is testicular cancer is less common, obviously, and less dangerous too. Uh, but certainly prostate cancer can be life-ending and, and life-threatening. Very important, Niall. Yeah, the, the numbers are actually quite, uh, quite staggering that uh, behind skin cancer, Prostate cancer is the second most prevalent cancer uh, in Ireland with over 3,500 cases uh, every year uh, ahead of lung, uh, breast, um, you know, bladder and, and several more. 
which is, is uh, it's significant in itself. And yet the awareness surrounding prostate cancer uh, ranks uh, almost at the bottom of the list. But that's something that mm. uh, a group of us are trying to change. We're using social media channels, uh, interviews, whatever we can get our hands on to create the awareness necessary that will ensure that others avoid uh, situations that I find myself in, I and my family find myself in. I, I heard something recently, and I, maybe you can correct this, maybe it's a myth, and I don't know how, how true it is, that the majority of men, when they die, be it of old age, it's sort of 75 or 80 or 90, or whatever it is when we die, actually end up with prostate cancer anyway, that many men actually have prostate cancer, just don't even know that they have it. Very true. Uh, there's one, there's, depending on which stats you read, one in seven or eight men in Ireland uh, will uh, be either diagnosed with it uh, or uh, die with uh, prostate cancer, but not from it at some point in their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's incredibly prevalent out there. Okay. Uh, and as I said, very, very little awareness surrounding it. Okay, so let's get back to you, John, and your prognosis. You're at stage four prostate cancer. What is the, I mean, it's considered to be incurable. So uh, so what do you do? How do you keep it at bay or how do you live with that? Or, or what's the, the long-term prognosis for you? Okay, well, you just mentioned something there that's very important for me, and that's living with it. And I do live. And, uh, you know, my family and I, we, we have good lives. I'm very fortunate to have... Uh, a very compassionate uh, employer, uh, something that's uh, not so for a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, whether they be self-employed, etc., that uh, don't have um, the same level of support uh, that I have uh, in relation to myself. The, the treatment that I uh, underwent, uh, initially the chemotherapy, I had to travel abroad for surgery because the, the route that, I, uh, that uh, we travelled, um, the, the surgery itself was unavailable uh, in this country. You're not the first person to say that to me, by the way. I've heard, I have a friend of mine who travelled abroad for surgery to Spain um, with prostate cancer as well. So that seems to be quite common too. What's the the issue here in Ireland? Is there a certain surgery that we don't provide or we can't provide? Yes, basically that's it. The the skills, well, what I was told was that the skill set that's necessary for the type of surgery that I require is not available in this country. It's not something that's done. So um, we travelled to uh, Belgium. Uh, for the uh, surgery and uh, in my case um, you know when I, I asked about him recently um, if I if I did not travel for that surgery at that point in my uh, treatment program where would I be now and I was told to be in palliative care and, and so, what, what is that surgery is that having kind of nodes removed or polyps yes. removed or cancerous polyps removed or what, what do they actually do in that surgery yeah in, in my particular case it was called a, a, a radical uh, well, well first of all because the cancer had spread uh, spread uh, to uh, distant lymph nodes. Uh, the standard uh, of care in this uh, in, in Ireland is that uh, following chemotherapy, um, you're, you follow then a course of uh, treatment for um, for a hormone treatment, basically because it's a hormone-driven cancer. But mm. uh, abroad, the standard of treatment is they throw the absolute kitchen sink at it. And because I was young, they felt that um, because the chemotherapy had, had uh, worked. It's its own wonders that uh, I was a candidate and my body will, would be able to take the, the surgery. What happened was they, they removed my prostate in um, uh, what's called a radical open prostatectomy and also they took away 61 of my uh, lymph nodes. Okay. And um, it uh, it worked, basically. It, um, uh, the, my quality of life now is, is uh, significantly better. I, than I, I mean, although your quality of life is better, and I'm sure your diet has to change with that as well, the certain things, you know, you have to obviously watch what you eat, etc., etc. Uh, in relation to your prognosis, your long-term prognosis, how does that affect your long-term prognosis now? Well, uh, as I said to you earlier, the, um, 
it's it's curable. It's manageable. Um, sorry, my apologies. It's not curable. It's, it's manageable, and uh, I live with it. Right. So, uh, I have a family, so I, I don't I don't discuss. I, I guess the okay. the time frame element okay. to it. But All yes, right, okay, we okay. have had we have had those discussions, and that's something that uh, that we live with, and um, we live with quite successfully. I hasten to add because you know. You could turn around and sit in a corner, feel sorry for yourself, etc. But um, I and my family have chosen to do otherwise. Yeah, and, and I try to move on with life. Yeah, and Absolutely. live your life. Absolutely. Okay, but okay. The main reason I wanted to talk to you, of course, today was because uh, medical card. Now, obviously, you incur quite a lot of expenses because living with something uh, like prostate cancer obviously involves taking medication. It involves services and from the HSE, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, which are all costly. Uh, and you know, yes. you should have a medical card. You wouldn't wonder, but certainly imagine. Uh, but on two occasions, it's been taken off you. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose. First of all, I, I never had a sense of myself, a sense of entitlement. I just wanted to get a few answers surrounding. Well, you're entitled to basic health care, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I'm fortunate enough to have a good job and a compassionate employer. So I wasn't saying, you know, I demand the card. However, on saying that, I was issued uh, an emergency medical card based on my diagnosis. And it was revoked uh, after six months. And what was the and reason? Did they give you a reason for revoking yeah, basically because it was means tested. That's the only thing that um, I can assume at the moment because uh, subsequently when I appealed it, they, I submitted quite a bit of additional information in terms of uh, wage slips, bank statements. They looked for quite a bit of detail. And what is the threshold, if you don't mind me asking, what's the threshold for, for is it 34, 35,000 or something? Something what's- along those lines, I can't. However... Um, but you wouldn't, long, you wouldn't be long onto your money if you were paying for medication all the time, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. An emergency medical card, uh, in my own uh, situation, based on terminal diagnosis, is not subject to a means test, uh, which is uh, pivotal in this because they did um, ask for stuff that um, I didn't think, looking back in it now, they had any right to ask for. An emergency medical card at the time was valid, if given, was valid for 18 months. Um, and issued within 24 hours, not subject to a means test. And that's where, I suppose, um, this issue started for me, in that when I, when I looked back uh, at the, the original application, this was only about four months ago. But hold on a second here. Um, the, um, this doesn't add up. So uh, I began to do my own little bit of investigating, made a few phone calls, and uh, that has led us to the point today because um, I took a case to the Ombudsman's office, which I have to say wasn't hugely successful. I found the HSE were pulling the strings in that regard. That's still a live case. But in relation to my correspondence with the HSE, I got the runaround completely, and they kept asking me for more information. And what um, sort of information do they want from you, apart, apart from what you earn? Uh, what sort of information do they want from you? They wanted confirmation of my diagnosis, despite the fact that they're my primary healthcare um that's I'm, sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure they can look up your records themselves and find these things. Out. No, I don't know what data protection is like. but I'm sure I was that... just going to say I'm sure there are GDPR issues. But in any event, I have said repeatedly, this whole issue surrounds the issuance of the original emergency medical card. And just clarification around why they did, what they did, when they did. And I could not get answers. They wanted more and more and more. What evidence do you you need to prove that, uh, you know, I have cancer? I mean, what what, a letter from your doctor saying he has cancer. Which I'm sure uh, you provided them with. A GP or consultant's letter, which I did provide them with. I actually went so far as to the Ombudsman's office to provide them with my surgical notes from uh, my surgeon in Belgium. 
which uh, states very specifically uh, what I have been diagnosed with uh, in black and white. And uh, after that point, I said, no more. And that was about maybe three or four weeks ago. Yeah, no and, and it's an ongoing situation where you're going to constantly need to use medication or constantly need to visit your doctor for checkups, etc., etc. Yes. So yes. You, you gave them an ultimatum basically last week I and warned I them um, that if you didn't get any sort of explanation that you're going to go public, which you're now doing. Yes. Um, on, on Friday last, uh, last uh, verbal correspondence I had was at 4.30. Actually, it was my birthday. At 4.30 on Friday evening, I was talking to um, a representative from the medical card section and I said, if a supervisor didn't ring me back, now this is, bear in mind, this was the culmination of, um, you know, of many months of uh, ongoing dialogue, uh, etc. So I said, if someone didn't ring me back by 5 p.m. that evening, I said, I'm going public. And that's not the first time that I had said that. And I did also say, you know, this might get a bit of traction. And I said, you know... It's, it's not going to look good for the HSE, no. Yeah, I said, it's in all our best interest to try and resolve this amicably. And that's not to say that I was going to get a card out of it. No, and, and, and let me be clear, you, you don't want any yeah. special treatment or anything like not that. At all. No, not you just want... You, I mean, I think anybody in your situation, be it somebody with prostate or breast cancer or cervical yeah. cancer, or whatever it happens to be, should be entitled to basic free health care. I mean, well, that's yeah. just kind of logical, I think, I would have imagined anyway. Uh, I wouldn't say no to it, put it that way. Well, no, I mean, because it doesn't matter what you earn. It still costs a lot of money, and you're paying your taxes. You're living in a country where you pay PRSI and you pay PAYE or whatever it is you happen to be doing or self-employed. Or, so you're paying your taxes, and you're entitled to basic health care. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, is about just basic respect as well, and that yes. costs nothing. That's, that's free. And uh, mm-hmm. in this case, uh, there was no phone call back. So on Saturday morning, I put out a tweet um, that, to my astonishment... Um, you know, so many people started... To gathered really quite a lot of traction, yes. An yeah. awful lot of traction, and continues too. Every, yeah. you know, it, it's still going wild out there, yeah. which in hindsight, as I've said many times this morning, in hindsight, I think this is a very good thing. It's well, I mean, I, I think it draws attention to it, not just for you, but I'm sure there's no. lots of other John Walls out there as well, or Mary Walls for that matter, uh, who are in that situation. That's uh, exactly the point. Exactly yeah. the point that as an advocate, as a patient advocate, which I've been for some time, whether it be, you yeah. know, prostate issues, vaccine issues, whatever the case may be, um, this has landed in my lap. And uh, I speak now on behalf of so many patients, terminal and otherwise, that find the system incredibly difficult to navigate at a time in their lives when they should be helped through it, dragged through it. And that's where I come in, and others besides. But uh, in this instance, um, I, want, um, I want answers, and I want to be able to relay those answers to the people uh, to, through social media, which seems to be, have become an invaluable tool for advocacy. Uh, certainly that's what I found. Anyway, so many people have reached out and so many stories out there of mm. uh, similar Well, similar well let, me, let me read a text here that just came in just while you're talking. I'm a pharmacist practicing in the Midwest region. I have to draw your attention to a silent scandal currently happening in the HSA. Medical card patients are losing their medical cards. Uh, coming to the expiry of a current medical card, the HSE sends letters to remind patients to renew. Uh, patients are not receiving these letters. They lose the medical card, have to cut down on essential medicines and pay privately. The scandal is that, that these letters 
headshares are not being actually sent to people in the first place. The HSE are telling lies once again. Uh, I know of dozens of patients who are suffering. I ask you to get uh, people who have experienced this scandal to contact your station uh, to get it out in the open. I do not want to identify myself or reveal myself for obvious reasons. She's a pharmacist or he's a pharmacist in the Midwest region. Uh, so obviously they're saying that the, obviously from the HSE point of view they're not sending the letters out telling people to, re- to renew them. So there's a there's an issue, an ongoing issue this person believes where the HSE are trying to reduce the amount of people who are getting free healthcare or free uh, getting medical cards. Yeah, and actually I've had uh, similar correspondence not just from pharmacists but from uh, HSE professionals um, that uh, have expressed concerns about um, certain elements of the way the uh, medical card scheme uh, is being run. But, but, uh, but, yeah, but yeah, what I can't understand is I know of people who are getting medical cards who don't actually deserve them. Now, that sounds wrong maybe in the way I'm, I'm wording it, but who, it's not necessary for them to have them, if you know okay, what I mean. Well, yeah, well, I do. Listen, we all have opinions as to whether someone should or should not. But the point being, if the system was fit for purpose, uh, let the system decide. And um, that's, where, that's where the system is broken at the moment, that we don't have trust in a system that needs us to have trust in. We need to trust the people that make those decisions and certainly with regards to medical cards, it would appear the system is breaking down. Trust has broken down. Well, there was down. that famous, very famous problem with Enda Kenny uh, just before he finished up his Taoiseach where the young chap who had Down syndrome had his medical card taken off him. Now, he got it back subsequently and that was on 6-1 News, of course. Enda Kenny was exposed on that particular occasion at the time when that young man had his, uh, his medical card taken off him. But it does seem to be a huge problem. So you're hoping to hear back from them, uh, I believe, by 2 o'clock today. Yeah, in fairness, they have been in touch this morning. Well, actually, I let them know there was a lot of, uh, a lot of interviews, etc. this morning. So yeah. I said to them uh, that I will uh, contact me basically after 2 o'clock. Now, on saying that, uh, I see no reason to keep this private. This is uh, something that I chose, uh, well, I have no option, but to go public on. So I want everyone to be aware as well that whatever response I get, it won't be private. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, this is something that uh, everyone needs to know uh, how to deal with something. And uh, if something like this happens to someone else, okay, what are the repercussions? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen? So, um, as I said on, on, on Twitter on numerous occasions over the last few days, um, I will be letting people know how this goes and other issues besides. There are other issues now that um, have uh, transpired as a result of uh, conversations. Well, I'm really glad you've raised the issue because a lot of people maybe weren't aware of this. Now, I I know this has been kind of bubbling in the background over the last few years. People who genuinely deserve to have medical cards are having them revoked for whatever reason and and struggling to get them back again. And I think, you know, in circumstances where people happen to have a decent enough job, uh, it doesn't really matter. If you have a diagnosis, which is an incurable diagnosis like your own, I mean, healthcare can be expensive. And either way, you should should get, the country should be able to cover that bill for you and I, I genuinely believe that. I, I wish you well, John, in the future and I hope, I wish you good health in the future if that's of any help to you. But And I, I hope you get yeah. what you want. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to, uh, to continue to raise the issues that, uh, that need to be raised. All right, thank you very much. I'm going to, so we'll keep in touch and let us know how you get on with HSC. Maybe we'll have a chat again to you during the week, all right? Certainly will, certainly right. will. Hey, thanks very much indeed. Uh, I'll just want to go to Donna before I go to the break as well. Donna, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Donna? Hi, Niall. How are you? You're in a similar situation. Yeah, they took the medical card off my mom and dad. Um, once my mom was 60, she was diagnosed with a tumour in her lung and she had to have it removed. They took it off my mom and dad. My dad would have been 65 at the time because he was four euro over. The four euro? Oh, yeah, over the threshold? 
Yeah, because his army pension pushed it over. Like, he served his country for 22 years, and his army pension pushed him over the limit for the threshold. So what, what, is the, what is the threshold, Donna, by the way? Remind me. I the... don't remember at the, at the time. I think it was 400 and something per family, you know, for, because yeah. they know all their children was grown up and stuff. Yeah. But I remember we had to go and we had to fight that. And then when we did get it approved, it was only a GP card that they were able to get. So they had to pay for all their medication. And my dad suffered from chronic osteoarthritis. And um, my mom had the cancer at the time. And when we applied for my mom, we were told, no, we'd have to wait until she got the proper diagnosis. Uh, we went and we got the proper diagnosis. The, she got the all clear. Then it came back in her bones. And everyone knows that once it goes into your bones, it's kind of, you mm. know, it's yeah. downhill from there. Unfortunately. And we had to get her a wheelchair. We went down to the HSC to get the wheelchair, had the letter from the hospital and everything. And they said, no, it'll take about six weeks. But she was due in the hospital like the following day. So I had to sit in a wheelchair and told them I wasn't going to move until they gave me a wheelchair. And I took that same wheelchair home with me because there was no way I was going to let my mom hobble into the hospital. She couldn't walk, like the mm-hmm. couldn't walk. Yeah, I, know. I, 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 I had a similar situation with my own mother where she had emphysema. And we needed a bed for downstairs because she couldn't make it up the stairs. Even uh, with a stair lift, she couldn't get up the stairs. She couldn't manage to even get to get onto a chair. And the same situation, no. we had to fight to try and get anything for yeah. her at the top. All because my no. father had a good pe- he had a pension from the airport yeah. at the time. That's it. It's the same with my dad. Now, I will say there was a public nurse, Eileen. I won't mention her second name and I won't mention where she worked. But that woman was outstanding. Within three weeks, once we contacted her, she's a public health nurse. Once we contacted her, she pushed everything through the channels because she knew my mom only had about 18 months to live and she wanted to give her some quality of life. So she pushed her right through and my mom got the bathroom done, she got the stairlift put in, she got um, the commode in the house, she got everything that she was entitled to because of that one lady. And that's good. It's good that some people are paying attention. Is, and, so, yeah. and that's because she knew your mom. But of course, the system doesn't know everybody. And I understand okay. that. But but I mean, there should be some sort of logical way of dealing with this. I mean, to listen to John's story, here's a man who has an incurable prog- uh, prognosis. It's horrendous. And he can't even get a medical card. Yeah, it's disgraceful. You should, once you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, but that's like diabetics. Diabetics don't get entitled to a medical card. They get entitled to free medication for their diabetes. So my brother's a diabetic. But I mean, I know I do talk to Helena here. She, Helena is asthmatic and she has to go and buy her inhalers all the time and they're not expensive. It's not crazy. Cheap. You know, so no, I, I think if you have an ongoing problem like that, be it diabetic, asthmatic, or is indeed a terminal diagnosis of any description, there should be no reason why you should be paying for it. No, he doesn't pay for his uh, medication. He only pays for the, he doesn't pay for the insulin either. But if he has a problem that's associated with diabetes, as in, you know, he gets a hypo and he has to go see the GP or he has to go for some other reason connected to his diabetes. He has to pay for that. Mm. You know, he has to pay for the treatment and he has to pay for the GP to see him. Well, Which look, is crazy. Well, look, I hope it draws attention to it today and I'm sure there's loads of other people texting in, by the way, in similar situations. And somebody else points out and says, no, you're dead on the money there. There are loads of people in this country who have medical cards who don't actually need them. And there are many That's people true. out there who have no medical cards but really, really need them. Yeah, so, so it's I mean, I'm on, I'm on medication as well, Niall, and because I'm self-employed, I don't get entitled to anything, but I don't whinge about it. Lots of people say, go and apply for the GP card. My medication costs me €150 every month, but because I don't need it, I'm not going to take it off, do you know what I mean, off someone who does need it. So, yeah. you know, there should be genuine people out there that say, look, I don't need this, I'll give it back. You know, but I doubt if you get people like that. Not many, anyway. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.